0: THE DARK IS RISING BY SUSAN COOPER PART THREE, THE TESTING, CHAPTER FOUR, THE HUNT RIDES Come, Merriman said, we must lose no more time. And the white mare wheeled them round away from the river, and rose into the air, skimming the foaming water, crossing the Thames to the side that is the end of Buckinghamshire, the beginning of Berkshire. She leapt with desperate speed, yet still Merriman urged her on. Will knew why. He had glimpsed through the flowing folds of Merriman's blue cloak the great black tornado column of the dark, gathered again even larger than before, bridging earth and sky, whirling silently in the glow of the burning ship. It was following them, and it was moving very fast. A wind came up out of the east and lashed at them. The cloak blew blew forward round Will, enfolding him, as if he and Merriman were shut in a great blue tent. "'This is the peak of it all!' Merriman shouted into his ear, shouting his loudest, but still scarcely to be heard over the rising howl of the wind. "'You have the six signs, but they are not yet joined. If the dark can take you now, they take all that they need to rise to power. Now they will try hardest of all.' On they galloped, past houses and shops, and unwitting people fighting the floods, past roofs and chimneys, over hedges, across fields, through trees, never far from the ground. The great black column pursued them, rushing on the wind, and in it and through it rode the black rider on his fire-jawed black horse, spurring after them, with the lords of the dark riding at his shoulder like a spinning dark cloud themselves. The white mare rose again, and Will looked down. Trees were everywhere below them now, great single spreading oaks and beeches in open fields, and then tight growing woods split by long straight avenues. Surely they were galloping down one such avenue now, past brooding, snow weighted fir trees, and out again into open land. Lightning flashed at his left side, leaping in the depths of a huge cloud, and in its light he saw the dark mass of Windsor Castle, looming high and close cool. He thought, wow. He thought, if that's the castle, we must be in the great park. He began to feel, too, that they were no longer alone. Twice already he had heard again that strange high yelping in the sky, but now there was more. Beings of his own kind were about here, somewhere, in the tree-thronged park, and he felt, too, that the gray massed sky was no longer empty of life, but peopled with creatures neither of the dark nor of the light, moving to and fro, clustering and separating, holding great power. The white mare was down in the snow again now, the hooves pounding over drift and slush and icy paths, more deliberately than before. All at once Will realised that she was not responding to Merriman, as he had thought, but following some profound impulse of her own. Lightning flickered again round them, and the sky roared. Merriman said behind beside his ear, Do you know Hearn's oak? Yes, of course, Will said at once. He had known the local legend all his life. Is that where we are? The big oak tree in the great park where— He swallowed. How could he not have thought of it? Why had Grammarie taught him everything but this? He went on slowly. Where— Hearn, the hunter, is supposed to ride on the eve of Twelfth Night. Then he looked round fearfully at Merriman. Hearn, I go to gather the hunt, Old George had said. Merriman said, "Of course, tonight the hunt rides, and because you have played your part well, tonight, for the first time in more than a thousand years, the hunt will have a quarry." The white mare slowed, sniffing the air winds were breaking the sky apart. A half-moon sailed high through the clouds, then vanished again. Lightning danced in six places at once. The clouds roared and growled. The black pillar of the dark came hurtling towards them, then paused, spinning and undulating, hovering between land and sky. Merriman said, "'An old way rings the great park, the way through Hunter's comb. They will take a little while to find their path past that.' Will was straining to see ahead through the murk. In the intermittent light he could make out the shape of a solitary oak tree, spreading great arms from its short, tremendous trunk. Unlike most other trees in sight, it bore not the smallest remnant of snow, and a shadow stood beside its trunk, the size of a man. The white mare saw the shadow at the same time; she blew hard through her nose and pawed the ground. Will said to himself, very softly: THE WHITE HORSE MUST GO TO THE HUNTER. Merriman touched him on the shoulder, and with swift enchanted ease they slid down to the ground. The mare bent her head to them, and Will laid his hand on the tough smooth white neck. "'Go, my friend,' Merriman said, and the horse swung about and trotted eagerly towards the huge solitary oak tree, and the mysterious shadow motionless beneath. The creature who owned that shadow was of immense power.' "'Will flinched before the sense of it. "'The moon went behind the clouds again. "'For a while there was no lightning. "'In the gloom they could see nothing move beneath the tree. "'One sound came through the darkness, "'a whinny of greeting from the white mare. "'As if in counterpoint, "'a deeper snuffling whinny came out of the trees beside them. "'As Will swung round, the moon sailed clear of cloud again, "'and he saw the huge silhouette of Pollux, "'the shire-horse from Dawson's farm.' "'with old George high on his back. "'Your sister is at home, boy,' old George said. "'She got lost, you know, and fell asleep in an old barn, "'and had such a curious dream that she is already forgetting.' "'Will nodded gratefully and smiled, "'but he was gazing at a curious rounded shape, "'muffled by wrapping, that George held before him. "'What's that?' "'His neck was tingling, even from being close to it, "'whatever it was.' Old George did not answer. He leant down to Merriman. Is all well? All goes well, Merriman said. He shivered, and drew his long cloak round him. Give it to the boy. He looked hard at Will out of his inscrutable deep-set eyes, and Will, wondering, went towards the cart-horse, and stood at George's knee, looking up. With a quick, mirthless grin that seemed to mask great strain, the old man lowered the shadowed burden towards him. It was half as large as Will himself, though not heavy. It was wrapped in sacking. As he laid his hands on it, Will knew instantly what it was. It can't be, he thought incredulously. What would be the point? Thunder rumbled again, all around. Merriman's voice said, deep in the shadows behind him, "'But of course it is. The water brought it in safety. "'Then the old ones took it from the water at the proper time.' "'And now,' old George said, from his place high on patient Pollux, "'you must take it to the hunter, young old one.' "'Will swallowed nervously. "'An old one had nothing in the world to fear, nothing. "'Yet there had been something so strange and awesome "'about that shadowy figure beneath the giant oak,' "'something that made one feel unnecessary, insignificant, small.' "'He straightened. "'Unnecessary was the wrong word, at any rate. "'He had a task to perform. "'Raising his burden like a standard, he pulled away its covering, "'and the bright, eerie carnival head that was half man, half beast, "'emerged, as smooth and gay as if it had just arrived from its distant island. "'The antlers stood up proudly.' He saw that they were exactly the shape of those on the golden stag, the figurehead to the dead king's ship. Holding the mask before him, he walked firmly towards the deep shadow of the broad-spreading oak. At its edge he paused. He could see a glimmer of white from the mare, moving gently in recognition. He could see that the mare had a rider. But that was all. The figure on the horse bent down towards him. He did not see the face but only felt the mask lifted from his hands, and his hands fell back as if they had been relieved of a great weight, even though the head had from the beginning seemed so light. He backed away. The moon came sailing suddenly out from behind a cloud, and for a moment his eyes dazzled as he looked full into its cold white light. Then it was gone again, and the white horse was moving out of the shadow, with the figure on its back changed in outline against the dim-lit sky. The rider had a head now that was bigger than the head of a man, and horned with the antlers of a stag. And the white mare, bearing this monstrous stag-man, was moving inexorably towards Will. He stood waiting, until the great horse came close, its nose gently touched his shoulder once for the last time. The figure of the hunter towered over him. The moonlight now glimmered clear on his head, And Will found himself gazing up into strange, tawny eyes, yellow gold, unfathomable, like the eyes of some huge bird. He gazed into the hunter's eyes, and he heard in the sky that strange high yelping begin again. With the difficulty of escaping an enchantment, he dragged his gaze aside to look properly at the head, the great horned mask that he had given the hunter to put on. But the head was real— The golden eyes blinked, feather-fringed, and round, with the deliberate blink of an owl's strong eyelids. The man's face in which they were set was turned full on Will, and the firm carved mouth above the soft beard parted in a quick smile. That mouth troubled Will. It was not the mouth of an old one. It could smile in friendship, but there were other lines round it as well. Where Merriman's face was marked with lines of sadness and anger, the hunters told instead of cruelty and a pitiless impulse to revenge, indeed he was half beast. the dark branches of Hearn's antlers curved up over will the moonlight glinting on their velvety sheen, and the hunter laughed softly. He looked down at will out of his yellow eyes in the face that was no longer a mask but living, and he spoke in a voice like a tenor bell, the signs, old one he said. SHOW ME THE SIGNS. Without taking his eyes from the towering figure, Will fumbled with his buckle, and held the six-quartered circles high in the moonlight. The hunter looked at them and bent his head. When he raised it again, slowly, the soft voice was half singing, half chanting words that Will had heard before. When the dark comes rising, Six shall turn it back, Three from the circle— three from the track, wood, bronze, iron, water, fire, stone, five will return, and one go alone. Iron for the birthday, bronze carried long, wood from the burning, stone out of song, fire in the candle ring, water from the thaw, six signs the circle, and the grail gone before. But he too did not end where Will expected him to. He went on. Fire on the mountain shall find the harp of gold, Played to wake the sleepers, oldest of the old; Power from the green witch lost beneath the sea; All shall find the light at last, Silver on the tree.' The yellow eyes looked at Will again, but they did not see him now; they had grown cold, abstracted, a chill fire mounting in them that brought the cruel lines back to the face. But Will saw the cruelty now as the fierce inevitability of nature. It was not from malice that the light and the servants of the light would ever hound the dark, but from the nature of things. Hearn the hunter wheeled round on the great white horse, away from Will and the single oak tree, until his fearsome silhouette was in the open, under the moon, and the still lowering storm-clouds. He raised his head, and he made to the sky a call that was like the halloo blown by a huntsman on the horn to call up hounds. The hunting horn of his voice seemed to grow and grow, and to fill the sky, and come from a thousand throats at once. And Will saw that this it did, for from every point of the park, behind every shadow or tree, or and out of every cloud, leaping round the ground and through the air, came an endless pack of hounds sounding, belling as hunting dogs do when they are starting after a scent. They were huge white animals, ghostly in the half light, loping and jostling and bounding together. They paid not the least attention to the old ones, or to anything but Hearn on his white horse. Their ears were red, their eyes were red, they were ugly creatures. "'Will drew back involuntarily as they passed, "'and one great silvery dog broke stride to glance at him "'with as casual a curiosity as if he had been a fallen branch. "'The red eyes and the white head were like flames, "'and the red ears stood taut upright with a dreadful eagerness, "'so that Will tried not to imagine what it would be like "'to be hunted by such dogs. "'Round Hearn and the white mare they bayed and belled, "'a heaving sea of red-flecked foam,' Then all at once the antlered man stiffened, his great horns pointing as a hunting-dog points, and he called the hounds together with a rapid urgent collecting-call, the mene that sends a pack after blood. A bedlam of yelping urgency rose from the milling white dogs, filling the sky, and at the same moment the full strength of the thunderstorm erupted." Clouds split, roaring into bright jagged lightning, as Hearn and the white horse leapt exultantly up into the arena of the sky, with the red-eyed hounds pouring up into the stormy air after them, in a great white flood. But then a sudden terrible silence like suffocation came, blotting out all sound of the storm. In the moment of its last desperate chance, breaking across the barrier that had been holding it at bay, the dark came for will." Shutting out the sky and the earth, the deadly spinning pillar came at him, dreadful in its furious whirling energy and utter quiet. There was no time for fear. Will stood alone, and the towering black column rushed to engulf him, with all the monstrous forces of the dark arrayed in its writhing mist, and at its centre the great foam-mouthed black stallion reared up with the black rider, his eyes two brilliant points of blue fire. "'Will called vainly on every spell of defence "'at his command, yet knew that his hands were powerless "'to move to the signs for help. "'He stood where he was, despairing, and closed his eyes. "'But into the dead, world-muffling silence "'enwrapping him, one small sound came. "'It was the same strange high whickering, far up in the sky, "'like the passing of many migrant geese on an autumn night "'that he had heard three times that day. "'Nearer,' Louder it grew, opening his eyes, and then he saw a scene like nothing he had ever seen before, nor ever saw again. Half the sky was thick and dreadful with the silent raging of the dark and its whirling tornado power, but now riding down towards it, out of the west, with the speed of dropping stones, came Hearn and the Wild Hunt. At the peak of their power now, in full cry, they came roaring out of the great dark thundercloud, "'through streaking lightning and grey-purple clouds, "'riding on the storm. "'The yellow-eyed, antlered man rode laughing dreadfully, "'crying out the avant that rallies hounds on the full chase, "'and his brilliant white-gold horse flung forward "'with mane and tail flying. "'And around them and endlessly behind them "'like a broad white river poured the yell-hounds, "'the yelpers, the hounds of doom, "'their red eyes burning with a thousand warning flames.' The sky was white with them. They filled the western horizon, and still they came, unending. At the sound of their bell-like thousand-tongued yelping, the magnificence of the dark flinched and swayed and seemed to tremble. Will caught sight of the black rider once more, high in the dark mist. His face was twisted in fury and dread and frozen malevolence, and behind these the awareness of defeat. He spun his horse so fiercely round, that the lithe black stallion tottered and almost fell. As he jerked at the rein, the rider seemed to cast something impatiently from his saddle, a small, dark object that fell limp and loose to the ground and lay there like a discarded cloak. Then the storm and the rushing wild hunt were upon the rider. He rode up into his whirling black refuge. The fantastic tornado pillar of the dark curved and twisted, lashed like a snake in agony until finally there was a great shriek in the heavens, and it began rushing at furious speed northward. Over the park, and the common and hunter's comb, it fled, and after it went Hearn and the hunt in full cry, a long white crest on the surge of the storm. The yelping of the hounds died with distance, fading, last of all, the sounds of the chase, and above Hearn's oak the silver half-moon was left floating in a sky, flecked, with small, ragged remnants of cloud. Will drew a long breath and looked round. Merriman stood exactly as he had last seen him, tall and straight, hooded, a dark, featureless statue. Old George had drawn Pollux back into the trees, for no normal animal could have faced the hunt so close and survived. Will said, "'Is it over?' "'More or less,' "'Merriman said, faceless under the hood. "'The dark is—' "'He dared not bring out the words. "'The dark is vanquished at last in this encounter. "'Nothing may outface the wild hunt, "'and Hearn and his hounds hunt their quarry as far as they may, "'to the very ends of the earth. "'So at the ends of the earth the lords of the dark must skulk now, "'awaiting their next time of chance.' But for the next time we are this much stronger, by the completed circle, and the six signs, and the gift of grammary. We are made stronger by your completed quest, Will Stanton, and closer to gaining the last victory at the very end. He pushed back his broad hood, the wild white hair glinting in the moonlight, and for a moment the shadowed eyes looked into Will's with a communication of pride that made Will's face warm with pleasure." Then Merriman looked out across the dappled, snow-mounded grassland of the great park. "'There is left only the joining of the signs,' he said. "'But before that, one small thing.' A curious jerkiness caught at his voice. Will followed, puzzled, as he strode forward close to Hearn's Oak. Then he saw on the snow, at the edge of the tree's shadow, the crumpled cloak that the black rider had let fall as he turned to flee— Merriman stooped, then knelt down beside it in the snow. Still wondering, Will peered closer, and saw with a shock that the dark heap was not a cloak, but a man. The figure lay face upward, twisted at a terrible angle. It was the walker. It was Hawkin. Merriman said, his voice deep and expressionless, "'Those who ride high with the lords of the dark must expect to fall.' "'and men do not fall easily from such heights. "'I think his back is broken.' "'It occurred to Will, looking at the small, still face, "'that this time he had forgotten "'that Hawkin was no more than an ordinary man. "'Not ordinary, perhaps. "'That was not the word for a man "'who had been used by both light and dark, "'and sent many ways through time, "'to become at last the walker, "'battered by wandering through six hundred years. "'But a man,' none the less, and mortal. The white face flickered and the eyes opened. Pain came into them, and the shadow of a different remembered pain. "'He threw me down,' Hawkins said. Merriman looked at him, but said nothing. "'Yes,' Hawkins whispered bitterly. "'You knew it would happen.' He gasped with pain as he tried to move his head, then panic came into his eyes. "'Only my head. I feel my head because of the pain. "'But my arms, my legs, they are not there.' "'There was a dreadful, desolate hopelessness in the lined face now.' Hawkin looked full at Merriman. "'I am lost,' he said. "'I know it. Will you make me live on, with the worst suffering of all, now come? "'The last right of a man is to die. "'You prevented it all this time. "'You made me live on through the centuries, when often I longed for death.' and all for a betrayal that I fell into, because I had not the wit of an old one. The grief and longing in his voice were intolerable. Will turned his head away. But Merriman said, "'You were Hawkin, my foster son and liege man, who betrayed your Lord and the Light. So you became the walker, to walk the earth for as long as the Light required it. And so you lived on indeed.' but we have not kept you since then, my friend. Once the walker's task was done, you were free, and you could have had rest for ever. Instead you chose to listen to the promises of the dark, and to betray the light a second time. I gave you the freedom to choose, Hawkin, and I did not take it away. I may not. It is still yours. No power of the dark or of the light can make a man more than a man.' once any supernatural role he may have had to play comes to an end but no power of the dark or the light may take away his rights as a man either if the black rider told you so he lied the twisted face gazed up at him in agonized near belief i may have rest there can be an end and rest if i choose all your choices have been your own said merriman sadly Hawkin nodded his head. A spasm of pain flashed across his face and was gone. But the eyes that looked up at them oops, but the eyes that looked up at them then were the bright, lively eyes of the beginning of the small, neat man in the green velvet coat. They turned to Will. Hawkin said softly, Use the gift well, old one. Then he looked back at Merriman, a long, unfathomable private look. And he said almost inaudibly, Master. <clears throat> then the light went out behind the bright eyes. <laughs> You've read it before. <clears throat> Just <laughs> okay. Okay. Then the light went out behind the bright eyes, and there was no longer anyone there. (laughs) Sorry. End of the chapter.